I backed out of the parking garage and I hit a car. <laughs> and so right then I probably should let my friend drive, but I didn't. So then we drove to Stoughton and I was going to meet my friend for something. I ended up like That's going like an out. hour drive. Yeah, I don't even know. Don't even ask. <laughs> my life was a mess so many different times, but um I ended up like driving on the wrong side of the road. So then and then I pulled into like a Friday's or a restaurant to turn around and like obviously I passed a cop and then that's when they like followed me and then they ended up pulling me over at a gas station and then yeah that's when they're like you know they look up all your shit you know I was almost done with everything and then picked up my second OUI and then um is that jail time I actually got sent to Framingham for like a month just sitting there until like they decided what to do with me Welcome to the show, Krista. Thank you. So you have a podcast on recovery and addiction that I saw. I do. And what is that called? Um, it's called Krista Living Sober. And that's Krista C H. C H R I S T A. Yes. And that's Living Sober, all one word. And you're on Spotify. I am on Spotify. That's and awesome. How? Google and Apple. Oh, cool. And you I have think, what? I think it's Anchor, just like a link, and then it like send you to spotify yeah so anchor is like the landing page right that's like the host where you post it and then they distribute it out um the only thing i didn't like about anchor was i love that you could add songs from spotify right and like make and put songs so i love having music in there but the problem was they didn't show that on apple because the music was copyright they would only show those episodes on spotify that whenever i used music so eventually I got my buddy. He's probably even listening. Um, I didn't get him. He started writing music again, and then he sent me a little guitar riff that I loved. So yeah. I told him I wanted to use that as my opening and my closer. So, you know, now I have original music. But before I was, like, I was stealing some music. Yeah. Like, Requiem for a Dream. Like, you ever seen it? Yeah, that's a crazy yeah. movie. I and, watched it in a program. <laughs> And the score to that movie, it's like, it's like really intense. Mm-hmm. So I cut that and made that my opening for the first, like, if you go back to YouTube, I'm waiting just for those episodes to get taken down for copyright because I totally pirated <laughs> and I'm out of myself right now by putting it out there. And I don't care. It is what it is because, you know, I learned my lesson. But yeah, there's a lot of cool things you can do. And you're what, 12 episodes in? Yeah, it's new. It's new. But it's new it's it's fun though like you're having I mean, fun with it consistency is key so i mean when i have more time i'll put more effort and time into it but yeah and sometimes like yeah it's good like i can record sometimes three episodes in a day and then i'll have my next three weeks planned okay that's you fine. know yeah like i'll do like a saturday and i'll sit here and have like four lined up and then i don't have to record for a month it's just a matter of editing and promoting Right. So you learn those like little tricks and little ways to like go. I didn't know shit my first couple months. <laughs> I was just guessing. And now I have a nice little rhythm going to the right. point where I can release daily episodes. That's so right. you get okay. to you you get there. You yeah. know, the more you play around with it, the more you talk to people like me and you learn some new tricks. Yeah. So what is your sober date, Krista? Um, December 6, 2018. 
Oh shit! You just celebrated I three think- years. He's got three years. Yay! Congrats. Thank you. So December sixth, two thousand eighteen. Can I ask what was happening in your life December fifth, two thousand eighteen? You can. I don't remember. <laughs> um. Xanax. Um, mainly drinking, and I have no idea. I know, like the fourth, I went to work, and then after I went out to drink because that's what I like to do. But um, I drank way too much and I ended up in the hospital or something happened. Like there's just a lot of blank space where I don't remember what happened to me. Um, It's funny, alcohol will do that even though it's completely legal and completely accepted in society. Great. (laughs) No, um, my drinking brought me to the hospital for the last and final time. And I honestly don't know what happened, but I know that this time it was serious enough um, where I like had, I think, like I call it divine intervention, but I had an out-of-body experience where I saw myself in the hospital bed. Like I was just like above myself, down onto myself in the hospital bed. And I was like, what? Like, that's crazy. Um, But I knew then and there that I needed to change my life around. I needed to stop fucking around. I needed to stop drinking and doing drugs. Um, And then something just pushed me, like, back into my body. And I woke up, and I'm like, great. Like, here I am again, like, in a hospital room. But this time, I was like, like, I need to get help. I need to change my life. Um, How old were you at the time? Um, my birthday is next week. I think I was 29. 29. Yep. Okay. 29, wait, I don't know, 30. <laughs> how, how old are you going to be next week? I'm, th- I'm going to be turning 32. Okay, so yeah, you're 28, 29. Yeah. Yep, that makes sense. So yeah. when did you start drinking? Um, I started when I was around 12, 13. Okay, yeah, that was around when I did too. That makes sense. And you're like New Eng- you're a New England girl, right? Yeah, I'm from Braintree, Massachusetts. I know Braintree very well. I used Mm -hmm. to go to that Best Buy all the time up because, like, I lived in Plymouth and I lived in Carver. I lived in Middleborough, um, but I worked at the Best Buy in Kingston, which became Plymouth for years. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my good friends went up to Braintree because that was like the bigger store. So if you got promoted, you went to Braintree, and so I was always going up there to do like deliveries or we were like you know exchanging shit like i had to get stuff for a customer because they had more product so yeah. and plus the tea <laughs> i would always drive up the brain tree and mm-hmm. park at the tea there and then hop on to go into the city as opposed to deal with you know 93 there was and no way in hell i was ever dealing with 93 right. I just, yeah and there's yeah. never being in boston so. oh my god there's there's you, you have when you do park yeah when you do because there's i have attempted it one time and i'll never attempt it again you know yeah. it's just not worth it so yeah i know bring okay. train well like after a night of drinking you go to your car and there's just like a ticket on the window like, oh my my <laughs> I, my old roommate um went to film school in boston and he was basically collecting parking tickets like he had so many parking tickets i think he spent more in parking tickets than he did on film school <laughs> like, like, um, but anyway, anyway, uh, so I know Braintree, and that it's a, that's kind of a city where it's easy to walk around and drink. It's easy. I mean, I feel like where I grew up, um, 
You're not in the woods of Massachusetts. You're in the city. But sometimes I feel like when you're in the woods, like my fiance is from like a town in Rhode Island where it's like woods and like all they did was like drink and like. Oh, I lived in Carver. Everyone was in the woods drinking all the time, you know, like cranberry bogs. And like, I mean, I guess like everyone just celebrates. I think it's just a New England thing in general, but everyone celebrates any type of occasion. Like it can be anything and everybody's drinking. Yeah. I mean, that's just how I grew up with my friends. It is a, over everything. Like I think we partied every single like chance we could. <laughs> Day yep. drinking, night drinking, whatever. You always um, had a reason to drink, right? You always yeah. found a. Re- now, when was it that you realized that you were, did or did you ever realize that you were drinking to escape, or did you just think you were having fun then? Well, honestly, I think from my first drink, like I realized how it made me feel. Um, and it changed me. And I know alcohol is a depressant, but um, for me, like, I was like, oh, great, like an escape from my depression, an escape from like all the shit I'm, I've been feeling all these years. Cause it started probably around 11 where I just like knew I had a problem with depression and my mental health and like nothing was helping, you know? And then I found alcohol, I found partying, I found, a better way of escaping and um so I mean I got adopted when I was five but I was in the same family since I was an infant because I was placed like straight away into the foster care system because my mom was a crackhead um that's not nice to say um but my mom like I was a victim of crack cocaine like what, what is it called um like, like when when you were born, like you had, were was she on crack in her system when you were born, and then she had to give you up right away because CYS or yeah. whatever you guys call them, children and youth, whatever. Everyone has different names, different states, yeah, but basically yeah. the Department of that protects the children in right. Massachusetts said, hey, you can't have her because you tested positive for crack, and so did she when she was born. Right. So I was like a preemie, hooked up to the machine and everything, and um you know, it went off a bunch of times, like, I probably could have died then, and didn't, luckily, you know, like, God had a bigger purpose for my life, but, um, so I went straight into foster care, and then, luckily, I didn't get moved around, because you just hear horror stories, but, um, I ended up staying in the same house, and then, you know, so, my parents always were like, don't do this, don't do that, like, you're not like a mom, you know, so I feel like, for me, the addiction was already in my system, like already in place for me. So if I tried anything, it would just be like an automatic like addiction, you know? Yeah. That's what happened to me. And um, once I felt the alcohol, once I felt something that made me feel better than anything else, then it was just like, you know. Yeah. And from what I've, you know, heard from other people mm-hmm. who've been through the foster system and also they're like us, you know, they're recovery, but they were also in the foster system. You know, I was fortunate. I, it's not my story, you know, but I've heard that story and you're definitely not alone in that. And there's other people right now listening going, that's me too. Yeah. And from what I'm told is, you know, you never really feel a part of, you know, like when, even though you feel loved, you get all the pre- the presents and, you know, they tell you they love you and they tell you they care. Yeah. There's still that missing piece of who am I? and trying to discover who you were supposed to be. And, you know, you could have been in a different trajectory and there's a lot of what ifs. And so 
And you start realizing that at 10, 11 years old, because that's the age where we start thinking for ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. You know, before then, third grade, second grade, I have a second grade kid right now. And, you know, we tell him how he feels, you know, and it's and it's not a bad thing. It's just we have to remind him like, oh, it's OK to feel bad right now, Dominic. Yeah. Like, you know, and don't worry, you can cry, buddy. It's OK. We're not going to be upset. Like, just tell us how you feel. But you don't start really thinking for yourself and exploring other things, I feel like, until like fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. You know, you start getting this sense of I want to be my own person. And were you their only child? No. So it was a foster house. Like, okay. so they were older, too. So when they adopted me, they were like in their late 50s. So they were like older, like they already had their own family. Mm-hmm. And then they decided to take in foster kids. They How many made- um, foster brothers or sisters did you have? They t- They personally, they took in over 100. But there was always like their age was like babies or like toddlers and children um if needed they would take in like teenagers or older kids but it was mostly like people kids under like the age of 16. can i ask how they were were they like they but they they genuinely cared to help so they did and i'm okay. so blessed like i'm so you grateful it was in a loving home you know because there are so many stories out there that i have yeah. like abusive homes and like it's just awful well, there's but, so many, there's so many people like that, you know, couples they like that. Advantage, and it happened a lot. They took advantage of the system. And yep. That's, they get, if they get 10 kids in there, then they're getting like five grand a month from the state yeah. for having 10 kids there and they're getting paid to have them there. Then you're not seeing, you know, so yeah. there are a lot of people that just they'll take in a shitload of kids just to be able to collect money and then not do anything for them. So that's good that you actually. Yeah, they were really loving. They were really great. I loved my dad so much. He was like an amazing like hero figure in my life. And, you know. Um, when did he pass? Um, I was in my 20s, I think. But he had Alzheimer's disease. So he had that for a very long time. And that's a that's like later on in my story but in my 20s was when I like yeah I I jump around it just (laughs) when the way you said he was it 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 was more like he's no longer here so I was just curious so that makes okay so really really great childhood though from what I remember but and then when I turned into like my teenager preteen years it was just like really really hard you know trying to fit in um, they were white, you know, like they adopted me. Braintree is like a really white town. And like, I was different. I Are had you Portuguese? Cabaret. I'm half Cape Verdean. What is it? Half Cape Verdean. Okay. I just knew Portuguese. There's so many Portuguese yeah. people up there. <laughs> so. But, and then, you know, you deal with like teenagers and like the whole thing, you know, it was just like a messy time. And, yeah. um, and then on top of dealing with depression and like, the mental shit and if so, my if i'm correct your age you were becoming a teenager as social media was becoming a thing right yeah you know if you were born like in nine you born 90 or 80. 89 yeah so by the time you're a teenager it's an early 2000 now myspace is out and now oh, yeah. all of a sudden you're in high school and now facebook's out and that's a lot of different kind of pressures that are new kind of pressures of trying to fit in so that yeah, makes complete sense AOL. Like instant messenger shit. <laughs> oh, I remember that. I'm born in '86, Chris. I remember AOL. I remember AIM. 
I I remember having my, on my face, Facebook page like in 2006. I had to go, actually right by you. I went to Quincy. That was my first college. Yeah. I went to, but I went to the Plymouth campus, right? Yeah. So because I lived down in Carver or Cava, has how they say it. But I went to the Plymouth campus and I had to get an email address that was from the college in order to sign up for Facebook. That's how long ago I signed up. Crazy. I, yeah, I deleted that page eventually, you know, a couple of years ago, and I have a new page now, and I'm upset that I lost all my pictures from 2006, but yeah. it is what it is. This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. So that makes sense that you're trying to discover yourself because of that time where it's things are changing so fast and it's so new. You know, now the first time you drank, you said you felt different, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, know, you felt accepted and you felt like this. Well, is- the girl I hung out with was older. We were in the same class, but she was older than me. So um, she knew like older people. And I feel like my uh, my group of friends were kind of older. Yeah. And then my group of friends are also like the misfits, like the people who I guess weren't popular, like whatever, mm-hmm. um, the potheads, whatever you want to call them back then, you know, so. But like it, it, makes, it makes sense that you hang out with older people, though, because, you know, you're not it's not like you grew up in a house where everyone's the same age all the time, you know. Right. So, like, I grew up in a house where I was this age and my brother was three years younger. My sister was nine years younger. Nothing ever changed. We were always that age difference. But you you're getting kids in and out, in and out, in and out different ages between infant to teenagers. And you're just in the middle saying, what the fuck? Where am I? Who am yeah. I? Yeah. So, you know, that makes sense to me that you would attract yourself to an older crowd because they're going to accept you and they're going to, you know, guide you along the way as like your their little sister. You know, yeah. every group <laughs> has a little sister or a little brother that they take along. Trust me, <laughs> we all had our like little brothers that they weren't really our little brother, but they were a couple years younger and they hung out with us because they felt lost. Yeah. You know, so that that makes so much sense to me. And when you discover drinking and now you have all these older friends, it's mm-hmm. easy for you to get it. Right. Yeah, it was easy to get alcohol. I mean, we did do the stand out in front of the store asking people to buy when we couldn't and stuff like that. But yeah. I feel like we always had something to drink and whether you guys, you guys call it the packy. Packy, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but her parents were more laid back, too. And so I would always say and steal their cigarettes, steal their alcohol. Um, you know, so at my house, that was probably, you know, like they didn't want me hanging out with her. But when um, did your did your parents ever catch on in your teens? Did anything ever happen? Like, you know, I got alcohol poisoning when I was 16. The night yeah. before Easter. So that's what my parents found out that I was like 
drinking way too much was when I got alcohol poisoning at 16. Did anything like that happen to you when you were a teen still living there? Multiple times. I've gotten alcohol poisoning. Yeah. And then, when, was it, when was the first time you got it? I don't remember, but I know it was probably ninth grade, probably in high school. Um, I do remember one time I got it. We all were like chugging spurt off, like thinking that was a great idea. And then um, me and this other girl ended up getting sick. And then people all panicked and like left me and this girl outside in the snow. And then next thing you know, like the ambulance is there, like trying to like help us. And then wake up in a hospital with your parents like above you and you're like oh great been there you just continue drinking I mean I I, I did anyway when I was 16 it was night before Easter and I showed up late to the woods where the party was and I had a fifth of Bacardi O and I chugged it and drank it in 10 minutes and we were in the woods so when I was like passing out and this has all been told to me because I don't fucking remember um, they rolled me onto a piece of plywood because there people used to do BMX back there and bike and they had ramps. So they rolled me on a piece of plywood and they called an ambulance and they carried me out um, of the woods. And as soon as they heard the sirens, though, they got spooked and they all dropped me and I landed on my head. So I ended up in the hospital and I woke yeah. up like from my dad. My dad brought my little brother to see me and my <laughs> brother was 13 it was to like scare him straight and um he ended up not even drinking until he was 16 because (laughs) because of it um but yeah it was just like it was one of those nights where i woke up in a fucking hospital robe in my living room going on easter morning going what the hell happened there was a lot of what the hell happened situations (laughs) yeah how did your parents react when you ended up in the hospital i think mainly when that happened to me they were like disappointed but I feel like they were more worried they were more like caring they were just like you know there would be times where I cried to my mom and I'm like I need help I mean that was probably more later on too I probably saw that a lot of times to my mom and um they've always been really supportive of me as well as disappointed but more supportive well it's good I mean you know I hate to say but you don't take in foster kids and expect to have kids that are going to live a normal life growing up yeah you know you can try and give them a normal life all you want take them on trips make sure they get ice cream you know make them happy get them nice gifts but as kids get older we are already going to start wondering and just and wanting to discover and wanting to find out who we really are (laughs) and you know our parents can do everything right whether my parents who you know birthed me and they did everything right and your parents who took you in and did everything right were still people who are curious and still want to find ourselves and figure out who we are without someone telling us who we are. So, you know, it's not our parents' fault. It's not your mom's fault. It's not my parents' fault. My parents did everything they could to make sure I lived a very happy and healthy life. My brother and sister, they're doing amazing. Never had any kind of substance issues. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, my sister had bought a house at 22, you know, like – Oh, that's like, good. 22, I was a year into my pill addiction, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. that lasted for a decade. So, you know, it. I, I'm very happy that I'm the one that took the bullet, you know, for them, that I was the first one through the gate yeah. so that they could know mm-hmm. not to do what I did and be an example of 
do this instead, you know, do that instead. Because I, mean, I, I, I wish I kind of was that role model. Like sometimes, I mean, I used to blame myself for like, cause they adopted um, a girl and a boy after me. Yeah. But and again, Krista, they're going to, that girl and boy are going to be like you and they're going to want to find out, you know, for themselves yeah, who they really now, are. Yeah. I know now that happened, but yeah. Sean, um, he had a lot of issues. Um, growing up in his teenage years, you know, in and out of juvie, stuff like that. It wasn't a lot of like alcohol and drug related. It was more like rebellious, uh, breaking in, rebellious, yeah. like degenerate shit. You know, my sister yeah. was the youngest, and she kind of like probably saw both of us go through different things. So she never really like got into trouble like that. But she had issues in her own way, you know. Not yeah. to get into this on the no, but well, no, amazing. but yeah, exactly. Yep. She's amazing now. And then my brother, though, um, our brother, he actually ended up getting shot in Dorchester, um, like, was it last year or a year ago? So he was just, like, doing, he was doing so much better. Um, and then he ended up being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Dorchester is a mess, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, anyone who has been, and, and it's funny because you mentioned, we talked about Best Buy earlier. I remember a grand opening, the Dorchester mm -hmm. Best Buy. It was 2006 or 2007, and I was there all week long getting the store ready to open for their big opening, and yeah. we were already finding empty CD wrappers in the aisles from the new employees. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even having any customers in there, and there was already theft. We're like, man, I'm glad I'm not working in this store <laughs> this theft issue. <laughs> like, this is bad. And so, yeah, Dorchester, for people that don't know, watch Good Will Hunting. Yeah. You want to learn about Dorchester? Watch them go wall hunting. It's just changed over the years. A lot of crime and guns. Mark, Wa Mark Wahlberg, that's where he's from, born and raised. All the, all, whenever you hear about Mark Wahlberg talking about all the crime and all the theft. Sure, and Southie, all that shit. <laughs> so, yeah, Southie is right next to, it's basically Dorchester. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the same difference. It's Braintree, Quincy, Dorchester, South. It's, 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 it's yeah. yeah, okay, so I'm sorry about your brother. You know, it's. <laughs> Obviously, not going to be ever easy thing. I'm glad your sister's amazing, though. You know, yeah. and and that's the difference is too is they were all trying to discover who they are, right. and you know, with my brother and sister, we all know where we came from, so there wasn't that kind of journey where they needed to find and go different paths. Right. So that that was how we were fortunate. Mm -hmm. So when did when did you move out of there? Did you go to college, or did you just move out when you were in your twenties? No, I kind of like stayed you know I was still trying to find myself I was a mess my drinking led me to at 17 um sitting in the um sitting in my guidance council office like asking for help I was like I need help you know I knew I had a problem with drinking but I knew I also had like a mental like health issue so I, I needed help because you know I was scaring myself and um that was at 17 so that was my first time I went away to like somewhere in Westwood um, and they like, it was like a dual inpatient treatment place. So that was the first time I got help. And then I stayed there and I finished my high school degree actually in that program because it was around that time where I was supposed to be graduating. Um, so I didn't really walk with my class, which is fine, but you know, I did get my uh, diploma. It's not. It's no big deal. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. hot as balls. It's usually mid June. It's hot as balls. You're in this gown and you're in the sun or you're in a stuffy auditorium. Either way, I don't want to 
<laughs> I don't need that shit again. Right. <laughs> but I, uh, I did. And then I stayed there probably a month. And then from there, you know, they send you like another program and then another program. And then eventually I went to like this all girl living, um, like living house. I guess it was sober living. I didn't know that at the time. I was like 17, but it was out in Lawrence, Mass, like up there. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a great place at the time either. But I didn't even finish that program. I left and continued partying and drinking at 17. Um, did you go back home? Yeah. I you say, home. Did your mom know you were going to come back home with the intentions of drinking again? Probably if the programs didn't really help me, you know. Um, and then just going back to the same people, the same crowd. But I did try, you know, to hold down jobs. I did go to Quincy College at the time for a few years. And um, <clears throat> and then I think during that time, during those years, was my dad was struggling with Alzheimer's. So it was hard to be at home. And then just seeing, like, your hero figure kind of diminish, it was very hard. And, um, it runs in our family, Alzheimer's. Yeah. yeah, my grand, my, you know, my namesake, I'm the fourth in my family. The junior he had it or he was going to have it. Um, he also got diagnosed with something else. And then he was like, just let it take me because I don't want to have Alzheimer's. Like we could have gave him dialysis and all this stuff. And he was like, I'm too old to have his, his mom had Alzheimer's, too. And mm-hmm. she lived to be like 96. And he's like, I don't want to be that lost in my 90s like she was. Just let me go. I lived a good life. And we're like, OK, see you later, pop up, you know. You know, yeah. and it was sad. Um, but and that was 2012. He passed, and then my other grandfather passed literally two weeks before that. Yeah, I think um, it was 2013, 2012, 2013 when my dad passed. Yeah, it was 2012 for me. It was September, October 2012 when my grandfather's um, June 12th, 2012. And I was living in my parents' shed at the time. Yeah. Like, and I ran in a power cord out there and I lived in their shed so I could just get high all day because I wanted to be able to smoke cigarettes. Not like they wouldn't let me in their house. Right. It's I wanted to be able to get high and smoke cigarettes without going outside. So yeah. that was the only place I could do that was living in a shed. So that lasted until the winter time. And my girlfriend was like, can we go like be in your basement instead? And I'm like, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh basement <laughs> yeah uh, an unfinished basement with concrete floors and not you know the ceilings you could see the wires everywhere yep that was my bedroom so. <laughs> fancy yeah it was my bedroom for a couple of years too really fancy stuff so yeah. when when is it in your 20s how much can you think of like were you any getting duis yes <laughs> so i have two from drinking when, when, but um so I didn't want to be at home because it was just like a bad scene and it was dramatic, you know, my mom dealing with my dad and then it was just sad and go drinking, you know, let's go out to the bar. Like I never wanted to be home. And um, I don't even know. I guess I was at that point a functioning alcoholic because I did go to college, you know, I tried to like hold that down and I did hold like a waitressing job down and, but I still went out, my paycheck basically went to drinking into whatever but um then when was my first OUI um oh you guys called an operating 
Yeah, I think I don't know if that's a mass thing. It yeah, it is. It's, I, it's probably it's probably just just a way to tax you again, because yeah. Massachusetts tax Massachusetts like the excise taxes out the ass on everything up there. They find a way to tax you on everything up there. So um, why I, it's like really hard to remember my first OUI right now. Probably because yeah. like I remember my second one way more. But Let's talk about that when that I happened. Had to, so I had the first one right, and then I was I did all the shit I needed to do through the courts and everything, and then and then it was just like as soon as I was about to get off my second, I mean my first, I picked up my second. So it was just like bad, bad luck. But that when happened was, still in the second one. When, when was the second one? How old were you? Uh, it was 2015. 2015. So three years before you got sober. And yeah. where were you just at the bar and you just had too much? Um, well, no, I've been, I was drinking all day probably. And I hung out with a friend. We went to Boston and I probably shouldn't have been driving because like I backed out of the parking garage and I hit a car. <laughs> and so right then I probably should let my friend drive, but I didn't. So then we drove to Stoughton and I was going to meet my friend for something. And I ended up like... That's like an out. hour drive. Yeah, I don't even know. Don't even ask. <laughs> my life was a mess so many different times. But um, I ended up like driving on the wrong side of the road. So then, and then I pulled into like a Friday's or a restaurant to turn around. And like, obviously I passed a cop. And then that's when they like followed me. And then they ended up pulling me over at a gas station. And then, yeah, that's when they're like, you know, they look up all your shit. You know, I was almost done with everything and then picked up my second OUI and then um is that jail time I actually got sent to Framingham for like a month just sitting there until like they decided what to do with me um so how was was that it was interesting (laughs) to say the least um you know you just see a lot of shit the ride over there I saw like a girl like OD and on heroin and to this day I don't know if she's still alive but um that place is just like a sad dark place and it's unfortunate that jails are like that but you know but it makes you in with like the murderers like the crazy shit so you know um you just have to go in with like like you can't be like terrified and scared. You just have to like go in and like hold your own shit, you know, and like be strong. Or you'll same, just... same with sobriety though. But it is the same, yeah. Because you know, one of the things about getting sober is the fear of getting sober and what's gonna happen with our lives if we don't drink. Right. You know, I know me personally, I held off getting sober for years because I was afraid of what my life would look like without the drink or the drug. Yeah. And I that think that's how like like holds us into the addiction yeah were you ever fucking around with any kind of drugs at all too or just mainly yeah, I drink? drugs all the time but you know i don't think i really got sucked into the drugs like i could have i mean you didn't, a lot of- you didn't catch a habit i don't think so i mean i could have oh opiates were i mean opiates huge. were around that time yeah i mean i remember well in the 90s but i remember the kids older than me were taking them yeah. and well, we've lost i've lost so many people there's a, literally a movie about uh, it's called Oxymoron. Um, it came yeah, Oxymoron, John and it's all about. I know oh, the guy. do you really? Yeah, he's awesome. He's so nice. I want to like on your show. 
I want to. I'm gonna ask. Yeah, him. and then you know, then there's on HBO, um, heroin. You oh. at Cape Cod, heroin USA or whatever it is. Um, on yeah. Hulu, Hulu, there's um a show called Dope Sick. I just watched uh, that with my fiance. It's really good. We can talk about it for a second. We have time because I watched it. So spoiler alerts for anybody who hasn't watched it. Maybe fast forward a little bit. Um, because I thought that was so well done. It, it was, was so so spot on. Um, is your fiance recovering from opiates? He's recovering from alcohol that led to heroin. Okay, so yeah, that, yeah. You know, and for like, me, alcohol led me to pills. Yeah. A- alcohol stopped working for me after I was 21, and I had gone to the bar so much and it just wasn't working. And then I discovered pills, and it was a wrap. I barely cared about drinking because the pills were my new love and my new escape. So I get that, you know, but I'm still an alcoholic. I drank alcoholically for many years in my teens. And yeah. I would have drank alcoholically in my 20s if I didn't discover pills, let's be honest. Right. You know, that would have continued. It just would have been more socially acceptable. <laughs> yeah. um, that's like, a fucked up thing. My um, drink would have led me there to, like, something yeah. worse. Yeah, and Dope Sick is a, is a great – anyone who hasn't watched it, you definitely should because it shows, like, this isn't our fault. <laughs> like, yeah. This isn't well, all – like, yeah, it is my fault. I take blame for what I did. Yeah, of course, I did the shit I did, but – it all started with a lie. Yeah. Like all those drugs that are on the market probably wouldn't even made made it to the market originally if it wasn't for that lie. I never would have discovered 30 milligram Roxy's if it wasn't for that lie. And yeah, those 30s, I remember the first time I sniffed it, I'm like, I'm in fucking love. This yeah. is what I need, you know? And it's all built on that lie, the Sackler family. And I'm so glad that now it's out there. People know, yeah. like... This that is what it happened, is. That happened like three years ago, right? Or something like recently. And it Literally. Took long. I was just like dumbfounded, but it's sickening how Shit, like. Two weeks ago, they just did more. The, the Met in New York City just announced they're taking down the Sackler wing and going to name it something else. That's just two weeks ago. So people are right. still trying to now push away from the Sackler family now that that show came out. So I'm so glad that they did that. Yeah. No, that show kept it real. And like. Ugh, it's so disgusting, the big pharmaceutical companies and, like, what they do to people. It's just, it's it was sad. money. We so, were money to them. They knew. It's we still money. happening, you know, with different things. And oh, yeah. Let me look at fentanyl now, you know. You know, it's horrible. And that's in everything, you know, not just a pill. I was just talking to my sponsor today, you know. I, I'm so happy he texted me, you know, it's his six-month anniversary today. It's awesome. the most time he's ever had, you know, since he was a teenager, you know, 15 years of meth and drinking. And we were talking about how, you know, he remembers kicking fentanyl because there was fentanyl in the meth around here. Fuck. Yeah, like he gets a Vivitrol shot, right? And I remember when he got his Vivitrol shot, he was a month and a half sober. And I was like, shit, Vivitrol usually takes people to meth because it doesn't, you know, <laughs> and... Yeah. So I was talking to him and I was like, hey, you got that Vivitrol. That's awesome. Because I took him to get it. Like I drove him there. And I was like, by the way, didn't you say that fentanyl is in meth around here? He was like, yeah, it's everywhere around here in meth. I'm like, so if you did meth, you would get really sick because you're a Vivitrol shot. And he was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I would. So it like dawned on him that he couldn't even do meth with his Vivitrol shot. And, you know, now he's celebrating six months and he just had a new baby. And he's yeah. doing awesome. So I'm so happy. Congrats, Eric, if you're listening or watching. 
I just gave him one of my old chips as like a, you know, thank you. Cause I have a whole. Oh yeah. <laughs> I tried to get them. So yeah, I pull, I pull out ones. One. Yep. I recycle them though. Cause I have a meeting center, so I'll recycle them. I'll hand oh, them out awesome. to people. You know, I, I think that's a good way is to recycle and reuse them, the old chips. So I have CA in there, NA, AA. I have a bunch of different chips in there. So now you're in your 20s. Did you try to get sober at all in your 20s before that hospital stay in 2018? Um, there were times where the court like like forced me to go get help. I remember going to the Women's Addiction Treatment Center. Um, it's called Watsi. I think I forget where it is. It's a mass. So I spent some time there, and you know I thought I really had it then, and I didn't. <laughs> um, you know I didn't until 2018. But were you forced into AAs, like any like 90 and 90s or anything like that, where you got to get a court card signed and everything? Yeah. So after the Framingham shit, um, I got off by doing drug court. So they let you out early if you like make a deal and yeah. then you go to drug court and you have to do like a class every single day. You have to pick up trash on the side of the highway like four times a week. Um, which that, highway <laughs> all of the major ones that are in mass like you know <laughs> it was I, do, about, you know. I don't miss driving in Massachusetts that's one thing I don't miss like and it, it confused me the first time I ever drove up there it was before GPS's existed right so like I had MapQuest printed out when I was driving up there you know like my dad gave me directions I had to write down and shit so I'm like he goes 95 north just take 95 north and then when you get 95 north, you're going to go 495 south. I'm like, wait, you want me to go north and then south? Why don't I just get off the exit earlier, dad? Why am I going to go north and then south? And he yeah. was like, no, in Massachusetts, south, 495 south actually goes east and west and not really north and south like 95 does. I'm like, what the fuck? Or why are we moving up here? <laughs> this is so confusing. It's crazy. I don't get it. Eventually, I would just, I would ended up finding my own way just for my own head because I literally couldn't. Yeah. compute the north and south so i would actually get on 195 in providence and then cut yeah. up 195 and then take that up to set you know it's well, a mess Plymouth <laughs> like, that way <laughs> yeah it, it's such a mess it's such a mess anyone who's ever driven up there the highway system is just like Thank it's so that. confusing it doesn't make it and i and i grew up in jersey where it's super confusing too so like when i lived in la they're like, oh, the traffic here. I'm like, you're cute. It's so yeah, easy. Have you been no. to England? <laughs> yeah, because the traffic in LA is constantly moving. Like, yeah, it looks like it's crowded, but you're still moving. I've been stuck on 93 mm -hmm. for an hour. I've been stuck on the Bourne Bridge in the yeah. Cape for 45 minutes. Wow. <laughs> it's so bad. So, all right. Now, you're doing these drug courts. Obviously, they're not helping, but, you know. This... <laughs> well, actually, the drug court I got into, they made me go on a breathalyzer too so I mean it helped during that period of time where I was on the breathalyzer because I couldn't fuck that up even though I think you get like a three strike rule and I did fuck up at least a couple of times but they were like all right like don't fuck up you know? but let's be honest how often were you counting down the day that you would be able to fuck up and it not matter were you always counting down to getting day. off you know, like I was sober <laughs> I got a job at a packy brain tree um oh, for people that aren't from new by the way packy is not used anywhere else but massachusetts so, really. so any 
whenever we say packy, that means it's a package store, liquor. which means it's a liquor store. So I found out when I was up there, like, oh, we got to go to the packy. I'm like, the fucking whaty? And <laughs> they're like, the packy, it's where you buy liquor. I'm like, what? Yeah. They're like, package store, JD. We call it a packy. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, you guys and your fucking cumbies and your packies. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I love me some cumbies. You know, Cumberland Farms, again, so if you don't know, cumbies is Cumberland Farms. It's like a Wawa, like a 7-Eleven, but it's amazing. Um, but anyway, it, but you're counting down. Let's be real. You're like, all right, I got to do my time with this, and then I can go get fucked up again. Okay. You, were, you weren't trying to live sober then. Because as soon as I got off of that... I went back to drinking because, you know, it worked temporarily. It worked for the nine months, you know. And it worked because it had to work. It did. You, you didn't no, want to go back to Framingham. Fuck up in Quincy Court or any court, you know. Yeah, you you want to just be done with all that. You don't want to go back to Framingham. You don't want to go back to jail. Like, although one time my breathalyzer um, died and, like, you get, like, a three-strike rule with that, too, and whatever. Um I couldn't charge it. I don't know what happened, but the cops showed up at my house and ended up like taking me and I spent like a weekend at premium again. I'm like, really? So really? yeah, they're serious about drug court and stuff. Like yeah. you know, dies and you can't take your test. It's like it's it's serious. So yeah. I'm so and when was that? That was 2015. So you and then 2016 now uh, you're off drug court and you're back to drinking again. Oh yeah. And but luckily for you, what do you think it was, you know, December 6th in the hospital? What do you think the difference was that time that compared to other times where you were in the hospital or getting DUIs or in jail where, you know, you're in fucking jail for 30 days and you're still like counting down the drink again? What was the difference this time? Honestly... It was that divine intervention. It was the higher power magic that you that's real. Like something greater than myself like helped me in that moment. And and that's kind of what happened. Like that's kind of how I got my faith back too. So I went straight to detox in Foxborough. Um and I stayed there for about a month. And then they were, I was like, I knew I couldn't go back to Massachusetts. I knew I couldn't go back to the way I was living. So they gave me, they were like, there's an all-girls program in New York or there's Salvation Army in Providence, Rhode Island. And I'm like, you know, so I, I chose Providence, Rhode Island. It's yeah. easy to hop on a bus and go up to Boston and visit your mom, you know, from Providence. But I mean, I wasn't even thinking that. Like, I wanted nothing to do with going home this time, too. So that was kind of different because... Before I just I did want to go home. I did want to still do what I was doing, but this time like I was just done. Yeah. Now, when was did you get into? Were you doing program work? Were you forced into like any kind of? You don't have to say which fellowship for tradition's sake, um, but you did start going to a fellowship, you know, and start hitting some meetings and going to programs. Yeah. In, well, in Providence. The way the Salvation Army is set up is you're like kind of on a two week lockdown when you're there, so you can't go anywhere. Um, kind of like focusing on yourself and then when you get that freedom they want you to work the program it's very religious too so it's not for everyone but it works you know faith is such a huge part of recovery I, sh I can't stress that enough but it's hard because some people aren't into that faith but they do they make you get out of your comfort zone they make you go to meetings 
um, and then come back for curfew. You know, you have to get the paper signed. Uh, they keep you aligned. Yeah, Salvation Army has a great program for people that don't know, you know. It saved my life. It saved my fiance's life. So many people. When did you meet meet your fiance? Because you guys are both sober. I met him April of 2019. 2018. I don't even know. 2019. We met during the program and we weren't supposed to. But, like, I don't know. Everyone calls us the exception now. Like we have a really great relationship. And- hey, I know plenty of people that met early in sobriety, you know, and and they're still and they still were together. They're married. They're happy, and they run a great program together. They support each other. They go to meetings together. They go to meetings separately, you know. Even like it's funny because I met my wife in April 2019. Yeah. April 7th, 2019 is when I met my wife, and um, I was coming up on a year sober at the time. Like, okay. and I would not get serious with her. She knew, like, her dad was, like, 30 years, like, an old-timer. Like, so she knew the deal. And But we met, like, on Tinder, and I told her, like, listen, it's strictly, like, I'm friends with benefits until I have a year. Like, and we lived we lived an hour away from each other anyway, and she was just coming out of a bad divorce anyway. So, but when I came back from L.A., I went to L.A. to celebrate my one-year anniversary because that's where I got sober. So I wanted to go back there to celebrate with my old, like, rehab and my old people that I got sober with, with. And uh, when I came back, I proposed to her. So we went from fuck buddies, friends with benefits, to engaged. So yeah. it happens how it happens. And yeah. you're, you know, I mean, married. And... It was just so frowned upon in, like, the recovery community and Salvation Army yes. and programs like that, you know, because it's so easy for people to, like, get wrapped up in the wrong person or blah, 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 whatever. But let's be real. ninety. I would say 90%, 9 out of 10 of those relationships either one or both go out together, yeah. you know, and get like, but the important thing is, is that you weren't in addiction together. Right. So right. that I think is a huge difference. Like my wife and I always say, we're so glad we, we met when we met cause we're both sober now. But if we would have met in addiction years together, we would have been toxic as fuck for each other. You know, yeah. we could have right. died <laughs> together from our toxicity. Because we love each other so much and we care and have so much empathy for each other, that Mm -hmm. spills over in addiction, right? And that that care and that kind of like, you know how it is when you're in addiction with somebody, that camaraderie of like, you know the things that nobody else knows about me because I'm too ashamed to tell them. And then you have that relationship built on all those kind of secrets and those that kind of like weird trust between drugs and you and your partner. So it's a really toxic thing. I, I've had two couples on the show, well, both the women. One's from Massachusetts, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been on a couple times now. She has her own show on uh, Instagram, yes. and um, she does a lot of stuff about cannabis recovery. Okay. And um, But her and her husband, they were robbing banks together. Yeah. They got arrested. You know, he did nine years for robbing banks in Texas. Yeah. She was in a rehab in Texas. And he drove down there to get her from rehab, and then they robbed some banks, and then they drove back to Mass to get high, you know. And she ended up doing like eighteen months or something like that, and he did nine years. But yeah. they're both sober as shit, five plus years now, and married, happy, and they spent eight nine years in addiction together. So you know, another couple I talked to from Ohio, <laughs> they were driving twenty two hours seven times a month from Ohio to Florida. To get perks. Wow. 22 hours each way. Seven times a month. 
And so they did that for years, five years together. They were in addiction for seven years or, or 14 years, and now they've been clean three years together. They have kids, and it works. So sometimes it does work. A lot of the times it doesn't. So it's always – and you're going you're gonna to do it too, and we, I still do it. You have to give the warnings. You yeah. have to tell that couple, you better be careful. You better be communicating, yeah. and you have to have other support networks besides yourself. You, you can't just be talking to each other, you know, like Mikey and I, we talk a lot. Yeah, we communicate everything with each other, but we don't just talk to each other. We talk to other people. We have other supports, whether it's like all women's or me, a bunch of men. We have mm-hmm. different kinds of support. But also, like, one thing that is crucial that we agreed for each other is, like, we put God first. This is just our thing, but we put God first, and then we put ourselves first, and then we put each other and that was just like something that like worked for us, worked for our recovery. Because without the first two things, we couldn't do like me and him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you met five months sober. So right. for you, that you know, you have a little bit of. A, you, we start getting our mental faculties <laughs> back around ninety days, right? Yeah. And then right. by nine months, we feel like a different person again. You know, where you know, it feel a lot better. Yeah. Um. So how much time does he have? How sober was he when you guys met? Because like. You know, yeah. you had been in there for five months, you know, December to April. When did he get in there? Um, A little bit before me. Okay, cool. So he has about three years in November. I have three years in December. So it's like I'm right behind him. So okay, it's kind cool. of like, yeah. So then he even had an extra month to where when he met you, he could be cautious and to make sure that you were ready and you guys could communicate well. Like, I feel like that's good that you could go yeah. through it together. Like, you both okay you don't need to be sober together you wanted to be sober together right before before yeah. when you were getting duis or ouis you needed the relationship lasted yeah. every relationship was just like a mess you know and like arguing and fighting and just well yeah. you needed to be sober then need with an n is a big thing you needed to be sober so that the courts didn't put you in jail mm-hmm. so you needed to be yeah. sober now you and your fiance, you both wanted. And when you consciously want to be sober and not need to be sober, that's when it really starts to work. When you go into something saying, I want this, like I want my drug. I will do whatever it is to get my drug. I will do whatever it is to get my sobriety. You have to want it that bad. And until you want it that bad, I hate to say it rarely works. Yeah, you have to want it. It's a big thing. You know, I've seen people in and out of programs for years. They, they're they in and out of VAs. They're in and out of rehabs. They're in and out of whatever. The streets, they, they, look, this, they look all thin. They look big and bulky. They look all thin. <laughs> and I just, I know that they're struggling. And I know people are still struggling out there that I love and I care about. Friends, family, whatever. And all I can do is say, hey, I'm here when you're ready. I'm not going to tell somebody to go get sober. That's not going to work. You have to want anybody, yeah. And I told my parents that all the time. That's why it worked for me is because <laughs> I went to rehab because I said I want to go to rehab now. Yeah. I'm done with doing this. I want to go to rehab. I don't want to live this life anymore. And yeah. that's why it works is because I wanted to. I didn't go there with a need. Because when you go there with a need, you have a clock in your head of when's it's going to run out so I get fucked up again. Right. And it works you know? if you yeah, you have to work it. <laughs> yeah. And Massachusetts has amazing recovery. You know, you're the 
not the first, like I said, there's been multiple mass people on here, and actually um, coming out. I'm really, uh, like, I'm really grateful for Rhode Island because I never, I, sh- I wish I did that a long time ago, but I'm glad I did. Well, yeah, New England, I mean, in general. <laughs> like, um, yeah, New England has a lot of, like, it helps. Yeah. You know, you're the third Quincy person on here now, including myself, because coming out on Thursday, well, by the time your interview's out, it's already out. My guy, Larry, um, him and I met at Quincy um, in 2006 or 2007, and he was in his 40s and he was 10 years sober then. I didn't know what 10 years sober meant at that time. I just knew that this dude in his 40s didn't drink. That's all I knew. But he was going back to school to change his life. That's what I knew. And he was on my show the other day because we're friends, been on friends on Facebook since, like I said, Facebook 2006. We've been yeah. friends for years on Facebook, and now I'm clean, and he knows what I'm doing. So he was on – it's a two-hour episode, his stories of what he did growing up in Mass- – because he grew up um, in Randolph, I believe. Oh, God. So right right by you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, like there a couple of times. Interesting. <laughs> the movie theater. Everyone knows that movie theater where you can get drunk at. They're, yeah. The movie theater in Randolph, they literally serve you fucking beers at your fucking, you know, while you're watching a movie. Like, that's what I know Randolph as, the movie theater you can get drunk at. Um, but Larry, you know, Quincy alum too, and now he's a substance abuse counselor. And <laughs> that's what he does is he helps people all the time with their issues. And it's, he, he has season tickets to the Red Sox, the Bruins, the Patriots, like, he does very well. He started a business in sobriety and, you know, his story is really good. Um, so look for that because you'll yeah. relate a lot to the mass stuff. But, yeah, it's I find I liked your episode, by the way, um, with that girl from Massachusetts. I added her on Instagram. Um, that was a really good episode. So I, I think. Did you know her already or did you see her on yeah, social media? Okay. But I didn't know like that part of her, which was amazing. You know, it's like you can hang out with people and not really know what they're going through. That's my and boy, then, Franklin. Yeah. I just had him on over the weekend. Like longer yeah. than you. And you're like, what? Like, wow. You know? Yeah. I had a guy on here, Franklin. He's been on two episodes now. And him and I were in high school together, you know, and we didn't really hang out, but we were in classes together. You know, yeah. he was really quiet and I was really extroverted. I was really like out there and, you know, but he came on my show and we found out how much we really had in common when he was on the first time. And then he just did a follow up a couple weeks ago. Um, but, yeah, it's just funny how we don't really know what some people are going through, even when they're right next to us and you're going through it with them. Right. You know, and you find that more and more, the more interviews you're going to do, the more people you talk to. Um, I have a panel coming up on Saturday. I've talked to like six women from Ohio all randomly. I met, you know, some on Instagram. I met some on TikTok, some on Facebook. None of them know each other. All have so similar stories. Actually, two of them, they were trafficked together by the same couple at the same time. And they haven't really talked in sobriety, but they know each other from when they were trafficked and on drugs together. So they're going to be on my show together at the same time on Saturday. Well, it will be out by christmas um but yeah i'm gonna sit down with them and like five other girls and we're gonna have a nice talk about ohio and their drugs and i might do that with a bunch of states that i keep seeing like you're like the fourth or fifth mass person so i might do that with mass i'm trying to get my jersey guys together and do like a big panel with all my jersey guys and just because you know it makes me feel better to unite people with people similar to them so they can feel not alone i love that 
Yeah, that's kind of one reason why I wanted to start this because, you know, it's not always easy for people to get out there and make a move to go to a meeting or surround themselves by the sober community, you know? Yeah, and the thing is, too, like, this is part of my recovery. Like, no one came to AA this morning, right? Like, usually I had this dude that comes to AA every morning. Um, He just went back to jail. He got out at 9 a.m. because he, he missed too many meetings, and so they sent him back to jail. So he went, he got, he stopped here on Thursday. I heard a knock at my door at noon and he's like, Hey, I got a vent. I got to go back to jail on Saturday and I'll be out on Tuesday and I need a constant meeting. I said, come and see me motherfucker. <laughs> like I'm here, dude. Like he's in his fifties and he's just trying to figure it out. And I'm like, dude, I'm here. Just come text me. You see my car. Just come over, man. Even if we sit down and talk one-on-one for an hour when it's not an official meeting time, I'll still mark you down for a meeting. And come here and talk. That's all I need you to do. We don't need to pray in. We just need to talk. Yeah. And that's if that's all you want to do. That's what that's what we'll do, man. I want to. I don't want you to keep going to jail. You have a beautiful German Shepherd. Bring him on to the meeting. Yeah. You know. So you know he just got out this morning. So I knew he wasn't going to be here. But this is my meeting. You know, you and I talking. This is my meeting for the day. This is how I stay sober for today. You uh, know, whether ten people or a hundred people or nobody listens to this interview, this <laughs> is how I stayed sober today. And, you know, you'll to make a meeting. Yeah, it's all you need is two. And even though, you know, we had different upbringings, but look how much we still had the same things in common. And that's the whole point is this. The more interviews you put out, the more you're going to find how much we have in common with people over the fucking world. You know, tomorrow's coming from Scotland. You're going to see an interview tomorrow that I did with a girl in Scotland. And she's your age. And, you know, she is sober now living up in scotland and she lives where whiskey is like you know scotland whiskey is made it comes from scotland all over and she has big distilleries all around her and you know it's so socially acceptable yeah yeah it's like having sam adams everywhere but whiskey (laughs) for you guys so but i'm so glad you got a chance to sit down and talk and you know get get some of your story out there because i know it's not easy being on the other side of you know the mic sometimes of not being the one asking the questions and like feeling like you're on the hot seat but you know there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this and be like oh my god that's me oh my god that was me too and that's why we do this right the more times you put out a story you know yeah so thank you again chris i appreciate it so much